Hi guys, this is David Negrin, host of the Script Podcast and executive director of the NYC Screenwriters Collective. I'm excited to announce that we've created a Patreon campaign for the script. Patreon is like a Kickstarter, but it allows you to give ongoing pledges every month and receive ongoing rewards. Of course, the Script Podcast will continue to be free, but we're just asking for a little help. So please, check out all our rewards, join our inner circle. Become a patron of The Script Podcast at patreon.com slash the script. The enemy tanks have stopped. Why? There are 400,000 men on this beach. Dunkirk. We have a job to do. This is The Script, the podcast for screenwriters by screenwriters. The deepest story analysis anywhere on the internet. At The Script, we believe story moves pages, story moves product, story moves people. I'm your host, David Negrin. Joining me tonight is Jeremy Engdahl Johnson. Hello, hello. Jeremy. How are you? Doing well. Tonight, story analysis of Dunkirk, written and directed by Christopher Nolan. Chris Nolan doesn't always write his own movies alone, but um, he, he certainly wrote this one alone. Um, I think uh, a lot of times he has his brother, Jonathan Nolan, write with him, and he's had some other collaborators. Uh, I think Goyer on some of the uh, Batman movies. Uh, Nolan's done Following, Memento, Insomnia, Batman Begins, The Prestige, The Dark Knight, Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, and now Dunkirk in 2017. Um, Dunkirk is a smaller budget than some of his films. It was 100 million reportedly. Interstellar was more like 165. The Dark Knight Rises is his biggest at 250. So this is arguably a more modest film for for Christopher Nolan. Yeah, well, when you become the Batman guy, uh, your your limits get set a little higher than than what most people are used to, right? So yeah, and who knows? He could be the James Bond guy soon. Really? Have you read any? Yeah, yeah, he's, in, he's always talked about that. I, I would much rather um, see him just stick to his own stuff. I mean, uh, one of the things that I think is interesting about him, and I'm a big fan of his, his films, you know, he's kind of got his own track, and then he's got this whole superhero track that uh, he's, he's done a very good job of shepherding that along, and I, I think those movies are some of the best of the superhero movies we've seen, and you know me, I'm a big superhero cynic. But uh, that, mm-hmm. that said, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's like he got plenty of his own stuff to do. And, uh, you know, it's nice to see the Dunkirk being kind of a, a masterpiece here, uh, putting it all together in a lot of ways. So you were a fan. Let's, let's start. We're going to do uh, five segments tonight, right? We're going to do uh, what we liked and didn't like, our one up, one down. Uh, we're going to do a segment on genre. We're going to do a segment on structure. We're going to do a segment on screenwriting issues. And we're going to do how it should have ended at the end of our podcast. So, what did you like? What didn't you like? Well, I think my up uh, has to be, I mean, like I said, I'm a fan of of Nolan's stuff. And I, I like how he has oftentimes had kind of wango chronologies uh, and sometimes I think he takes that a little bit, yeah. a little bit too far. I mean, I, like as I, I loved Interstellar, but when when you're like having to understand like you know physics of the fourth and fifth dimension and figuring out how somebody ends up in some strange time traveling like library, um, you know, it, it, it's that some of the I, some of the chronology stuff goes too far. And I felt like this movie, it's like three stories that are wo- woven together, and it's I thought it was pretty tight. It was like. Him taking his eccentricity for chronology and using it uh, to to its greatest potential purpose because it, it felt it felt really? like it was controlled. Well, first of all, Interstellar was way simpler from a 
uh, uh, linear or nonlinear narrative perspective than Inception. Inception was a mess. Yeah. Okay. And I think it didn't even get sorted out. By, I, I thought it was a, a lovely hot mess, but you know, I understand it's yeah. it's uh, <laughs> controversial. Look, I mean, to me, it's you know, when 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 Interstellar is on cable, do you watch it? No. Yes. I do. Uh, I always I, watch it. I do. When when Inception when Inception is on, I'm like I don't want to wade through this again. You know, it's like it's not one of those films that I'm like any of the Batman films. If they're on, I'll watch them absolutely. I want to see them. But Inception it just pushes push the audience away with its nonlinear um, problems. Also, its story world problems. Also, it's like problems about the rules of the world. But Tonight, on, for Dunkirk, I think you're right. He he did not. He had some interesting nonlinear stuff he was doing. We'll get into that in structure, but um, it was more successful in keeping the audience engaged and not disorienting us. Yeah, and I, I thought you know, and, and I'm curious to hear your breakdown of of the beats and how the structure works in this kind of tripart uh, story that we've got. Uh, but the thing, I mean, we were going back and forth ahead of this this conversation about what the structure would be. And in some ways, like, I, I, I love that it builds up to this little, you know, this tight little scene. And, you know, you've got events from a week out, you've got events from a day out, and you've got events from, like, an hour out all converging in this kind of pretty interesting scene at the end where it's kind of a microcosm for what all these guys are facing and the, the you know, enormity of what the you know, that, that evacuation attempt really was. Yeah. Um, I, my like is what Chris Nolan is known for, which is his, his cinematography choices, his directing choices of how to visualize a story. This is one of his shortest films. It came in, I think at an hour 45. Yep. God bless him. Um, the script apparently for Dunkirk is 75 pages. I'm surprised it's even that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's so little dialogue. Um, he is a visual storyteller. He's a filmmaker and he succeeded here at that. There's some images that I can't get out of my mind. Um, some images like the foam on the beach, Right, the images of the the long dock with all the the British soldiers ducking when the Luftwaffe bombing begins. Um, even the 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 uh, uh, the save the savior of all the little boats coming um, at the at the finale. Uh, those images they stick with you, um, and. He's great at showing, I mean, he was shooting in 70 millimeter. He's a guy who knows how to shoot IMAX. He knows how to shoot big, and he uses it to effect because the size matters in this story because of the number of men who are stuck on the beach. World War II is a a huge, huge um, epic battle on Earth, right? it was fought in the sky, on the land, and in, in, in the sea, right? Which is part of how he broke down this story. And it goes back to the Churchill speech. Um, he gives a lot of, uh, of homage to the Churchill speech, um, and even by reading it at the end, having one of the characters read it, which is great, which is a great choice, by the way, instead of just playing Churchill's speech, um, uh, he had someone reading a, a transcript of it so that one of our characters is saying the words. That's a good director's choice. Yeah, and there's, there's a whole version of this movie that I've uh, imagined where uh, they decide that they need to give voice to Winston Churchill and, and give us all this backstory. And I mean, this is an important part of the war. It's a really bad version of this movie where, like, you know, uh, Churchill is a character, and and you know we're we're getting cut to the war room. Yeah, like you could see how they they could have been tempted to do that, and I appreciated they didn't. This was a movie about like this awful waiting, this awful like you know ridiculousness of having to get off this beach. You know the the contrast between what we so often see in war movies with people storming a beach as opposed to queuing up and waiting. Uh, I, I I love that as just a kind of a 
a new addition to the, uh, the kind of the war movie genre, and I know we'll talk more about that. Um, but there are a lot of things you, they didn't do yeah. that they could have done that w- were, I, I was appreciative of the uh, restraint. Yeah, I mean, that actually seg- segues into our genre conversation. Um, this film, uh, it is like a triptych. We've got three stories going on. We have, uh, we have the mole, which is another word for um, the, uh, the beach, the beachhead with, um, with all the jetties. Uh, we have the sea, which is the storyline with Mark Rylance and his, his boat uh, coming from in, uh, England to Dunkirk. And then we have the air, which is uh, the the uh, the dog fighting uh, plot, and that's three stories. You know, you can have war epics that are one story or two with a B a story with a B story, or you can have war epics that are very ensemble-y. Um And I think this was interesting because it's it's a bit of a triptych where I I feel. Like the 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 main story, the mole with with the the protagonist's name is Tommy gets a lot more of screen gets a little bit more screen time than the other two, but the other two are a little pretty pretty equal. Uh, they they finally overlap in the end. The only secret to the structure here of this movie is that um, the mole starts a week out, the sea starts a day out, and the air starts one hour out. And so the air plot is taking place almost real time. Um, the sea plot takes place uh, over the course of one day, and the mole plot takes place over this waiting period. And so we're cutting between them as if they're this, a, a similar uh, tempo or similar uh, a time frame, but the, the illusion uh, uh, works. And it comes together uh, for the for the finale in the third act because they all end up together in the last um, in the last action. So it's not that complicated structurally, actually. Yeah, I I thought but, that the way that he he fused them together. I mean, there, there's the of those three stories, the only one that really has a built-in clock is the one hour with the air, and you got this ongoing thing where you know he's he's calculating how many gallons he has and his you know his gas gauge is broken so he's got to base it on what you know what his partner up there has um and i thought that was that was masterfully done like in the sense that if you're gonna if you're gonna establish a clock let's use the one that's that's moving the fastest because uh, even though some of these other stories were a week out it, it brought everything along more quickly um and uh, you know we're, right and, there, and there's a sense of urgency there's this we this set up the movie begins with uh, the mole and the setup with Tommy and the British soldiers besieged on Dunkirk, but you know they're being chased by uh, by by German soldiers. Uh, Tommy meets Gibson, uh, burying bodies, and we get a, a little bit of the beach, and we get a feel for how long all these soldiers have been there. So in that setup portion. Our classic just setup of what are the given set of circumstances, things are a little slow, and we get the feeling that these boys have been uh, uh, languishing in the slowness. But then the story, our story, picks up right there, and and it's and it's pretty. Um, the tempo is pretty quick from there on out. I would say um, for the genre, for the war film genre, I mean. It, and this um, this is a classically designed uh, war film. Uh, it reminded me. I mean, you know, for for an American audience, people are gonna think of Saving Private Ryan. Somebody on the internet said, uh, you know, this uh, Gun- Dunkirk was like the first fifteen minutes of Saving Private Ryan <laughs> spread to an hour and forty five. Um, and in a way, it was. It's a it's a drill down into the the hour uh, that mattered, you know, and the week and the and the day and the week that mattered. 
Um, Saving Private Ryan is this, even though it's a war film, it's also like a road movie. They're, they're on a journey. Yeah, there's a, there's a clear quest. And I, I mean, I, I like the kind of catch-22-ness of this where it's the absurdity of, like, seriously, you can't get off the beach? Like, and you may die because of it? And, and to the point where they're, they were willing to accept, like, you know, 80% fatalities. Like, that's how, yeah. that's how little faith they had in their ability to get these guys off this beach. It's like if we could just get 40,000 people back to England, we could probably defend the country. And, and they could almost see home, right? Right. They're not that far, right? But that, and that, one of the, that was another strength of this film, and for me, was the invisible antagonism, okay? The U-boat itself, we never even get to see it. In another... Uh, more on-the-nose war film. There'd be cuts to the German submarine running around, maybe the the German commander, you know, giving orders to fire the torpedoes. No, in this, the the U-boat and the torpedoes are a an invisible menace, and we know that the beautiful dark blue sea that we see out there is filled with menace. In addition... The tide itself is another invisible menace. At one point, there are all these soldiers trying to uh, get on boats to get out past the tide to maybe row back uh, uh, to England, and they can't do it because the tide is so heavy. So the, um, and even when the boys are hiding in the boat um, at the end and they're being fired upon, we never see the German soldiers that are shooting at them. We never see them engage. And so there's all this sense of invisible menace. And I think that works really well because I bet, I bet, that's, I, I bet that's what war is like a lot more. It's more realistic. And also cinematically and from story perspective, it keeps you on your edge, thrilled. Yeah, for sure. In fact, I, I think the only, one of the only bits of antagonism we actually see is in the air. Uh, and and it, it, it's more iconic, really. I mean, it's like the, that final scene where the, you know, the the plane's coming around, and you know, are they going to bomb the bomb these guys to oblivion or not? They've already kind of knocked knocked out their ship. Um, but I think you're right. It is kind of a it, it's it's a looming antagonism as opposed to something that's really explicit. So what did you make of what, what? What more movies came to mind for you when you were when you were watching Dunkirk? I, I liked that this felt like an exploration of kind of a of a smaller story, um, and, and you know I, I was thinking of the like the Sands of Iwo Jima, kind of the uh, you know for a little different perspective. Um, you know th- this was. These were unusual heroes, you know, having kind of common folk and, and you know, people who are just boat owners contributing to the war effort in this way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it reminded me, another movie that I loved uh, growing up was uh, Hope and Glory, uh, which, oh, yeah. which was a movie that, you know, set in London as a family in London. And it, it was a lot of kind of the commonplace things that would happen in, uh, with, with them over the course of the, course of the war. And, you know, I, I think my family always enjoyed that movie because it felt very real and it felt like that family was real. And I, I felt like a lot of these people were, were real characters. So I, I thought that was a strength of the film. Yeah. Um, I thought um, the, the, the story that came most to mind for me was Band of Brothers, which is the limited HBO series. So it's on TV. But um, Band of Brothers used... Um, each episode was kind of standalone. There was no main protagonist. Uh, you're not. You're, you're following Easy Company, which is a group of guys, and you you get familiar with these ten guys, and f- three or four of them you get a little bit more familiar. But you're not following any one of their stories. You have just these chapters, these eight chapters in the over the course of World War II for Easy Company. Um, all the way from you know somewhere in the middle to the end of the war, and a strength of it is that you you feel the war as as the the setting, 
you know, you you don't follow, you're not following one character uh, on a mission. Uh, I mean, there are episodes where you do that, and certainly there were missions in the three plots of of Dunkirk, but you're not. Um, it's not like a Mission Impossible thing where you're like, oh, they've just got to get this one thing and then the movie will be over. No, it's war. They've got to get, they've got to escape this, but even then they're not going to be safe. And once they escape this, they won't be safe because the war is still on. It's, it, it's just this uh, bigger than life antagonism. And um, the dreary cinematography of Dunkirk and the... Uh, uh, how how tired and beat up a lot of the soldiers are, um, you know, gives that feeling. The only one who doesn't have that feeling is the Mark Rylance character. His name is Mr. Dawson, who he is hopeful and he represents. He's a he's a a metaphor for the British people who wanted to contribute and they knew their boys were off to war and the little boats end up, you know, giving them a hand at the end for Dunkirk. But he's, he's optimistic even when things go really wrong on that boat. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other movie that came to mind just, and I think the cinematography, uh, you know, you mentioned the cinematography and so on was a thin red line, the Terrence Malick movie, 98. Oh, great choice. Yeah. Very like aesthetically driven. And, and not really the sort of thing that feels like it has a beginning and the end. Like, I, I think that's, from just a screenwriting perspective, one of the things that I found interesting about this movie is that, yeah, there was, there was a beginning and an end for those three narratives, but we really are just getting a slice of this whole story. Uh, it, you know, it was not like the end-all, end be-all at the end of this movie. It's just like, you know, you're getting a few people's story, and they may have been some of the, the ones that made it, but you know, there's still other people back at the beach, and and I, I thought that that was a good, a, a powerful convention of the thing, which is a, such a departure for Nolan, who has trouble with scope. You know, he wants to tell the entire story of Interstellar, which is like over a hundred years. He wants to tell um, the epic rise, fall, and rise again of Batman. A dream within a dream within a dream. Yeah, exactly. So. The, he took three small stories here in a lo- much larger story, the World War II. This is just the story of three groups of people, uh, uh, three gr- groups of Englishmen, of Brits, um, contributing to this one, um, v- you know, interesting retreat, the, the Dunkirk retreat. Um, and, and I think it's an example of Nolan at his best. I mean, the movie that we haven't really even, I think, sufficiently praised here yet is, is Memento, which was such a tight movie. And, and one of the things about it that's so powerful is just the intense subjectivity uh, of, of that character so that, you know, the fact of his amnesia uh, and inability to remember anything and his method for rem- remembering things and how kind of corrupted that becomes, it's like we, we live that subjectivity. So I think when... He's kind of a master at bringing it down to that that level, that individual level that has gotten lost in some of these mega epic, you know, sort of movies like Interstellar. But see, here's where I think there's a weakness in Dunkirk. And if you have a Batman movie and you have uh, Interstellar, Batman's got this iconic superhero and supervillain. They've got the police. They have all these archetypal characters so that if we don't get to know them that well, we can assume certain things about them. Uh, It's like a shortcut. Um, And in Dunkirk, we do not get to know these characters very well. And that, for me, is is one of the weaker points of Dunkirk. I'm not, I did not find myself empathizing with any of these individual characters that much. I wanted them to survive. I didn't get to know them very well, though. And you, you, want, you want the team, the group, to, to get off that beach, and you, you, you want people to be safe, but you're not, I, I, you know, I had, had a hard time identifying the, the, with any of the characters 
um, specifically. And a lot of the characters in the mole plot blended for me. They were all kind of pale, dark-haired young dudes. Yeah. Some of which are in, some of which are in boy bands, you know, like. Yeah, they. It, it, you didn't really know which particular uh, pale-skinned, dark-haired person was drowning at any given moment. Um, you know, they they kind of mixed together a little bit, and I, in some ways, it almost felt like they they threw aside the need to develop characters and just were like, well, you know, everyone's going to relate to this. Like, you know, who who likes drowning or crashing in the ocean in an airplane or whatever? It was just it was like a lot of suffering. We shared in the suffering, but we didn't really get to know the characters. And that is one of Nolan's bad habits, and I'll criticize him on on past podcasts about um, he is a, a, a director uh, first. He's always thinking about a visually told story first, and when he he does his best character work in his films when he's collaborating with other writers who force him. Uh, to focus on character development and character journeys and, you know, giving the audience intimacy with the characters and not just sort of flashes. Uh, He wants to tell a story and he wants to show us a great story. But filmmaking is always more personal and always better to me when we really get to know people. Um, I'm trying to think of the character from from Nolan's oeuvre that I most identified with, that I really got to know. I mean, it must be a, a Guy Pierce from, from Memento. You get to know him so well, the intimacy, even though he's trying to figure out what his past is, you know so much about his struggle. And in fact, you know more than he does because he forgets things every 20 minutes. But you know his whole journey and uh, how the, the film ends with, you, you know, him not really, his story not really uh, being as important as he thought it was is heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, I also think of the Joker. The Joker, we really get to know the Joker very well. That's, but yeah, that's. But that might be because of archetype. And, and that's like a whole separate meta thing, you know, that, that happened to that, that movie. I mean, it's. Um, the tragedy made it larger than life. Um, yeah, I like I I, don't, I think that he, he he really nailed it with the guy Pierce par- uh, character in Memento, um, and has probably struggled a little bit with to find that kind of character anchor since then. I mean, uh, the Inception uh, Inception's great. I mean, it's all about like you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's subconscious and stuff, but how far are we going to go with that? Like, I, I, I want to go about three inches into Leonardo DiCaprio's subconscious, and that's about it, so. Yeah, there, there, there's a huge character failing in Inception. We've talked about it on this podcast um, that we, we never see him with his wife because they're trying to fool us into wondering whether it's a dream or not. We've never seen him with his wife. We are met, we've never seen him with his kids, and we're, we're supposed to assume that he loved him, them. And we do. We assume it so that the plot works, but we do not see them together. We don't see their love. We don't see what he's lost. And so we really don't care about that relationship, and it ends up having a huge part in the third act of Inception, which it doesn't work for me. Um, I, I really like, you know, Michael Caine in, in the Batman movies. You care about him because it's as, you know, Batman is essentially his surrogate son and he keeps sending him off to get beat up and he, he's taking on too much and he's so worried that he's going to die. Like, there, that's a great dynamic and that's a character dynamic that you care about. But, you know, didn't have that in Den- Dunkirk. Uh, the the one little boy who dies accidentally on the uh, boat, it's uh, it's a really odd treatment of the situation. Um, yeah, that seemed like kind of a waste. I, I you know didn't really understand why we wasted those characters on that. Um, I mean, I understand not wanting you know the, they they pick up the shivering sailor and they don't want to bring him back or he doesn't want to go back to Dunkirk. I get that and the PTSD and stuff, but um, 
And then at the end, it's like, oh, he was a hero. It's like, nah, he, he just got on the boat and then he hit his head, went blind and died. Um, not to be insensitive yeah, about it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, but I think it's, it's, first of all, it was an homage to, um, to PTSD, to, to shell shock, which is what they called it in World War II, that the, this, the son tells Killian Murphy, the, ch- the shivering soldier, that the kid would be all right, even though he knew he was dead, because they didn't want, he didn't want to torture him with that. And then they, they do the thing with, with the article in the home paper later as a hero, and that's kind of a, a message that there were lots of heroes in the war, the people on the little boats and the soldiers, but that's, that's an absolute, like, tell without showing, you know? We, did, we never got to see the little boy be heroic. Had the little boy um, gotten hurt and injured by being, you know, wanting to be a soldier and jumping off the boat or he hits a landmine or something, that would have been a lot more relevant, you know, something tragic. He just got pushed by, by an angry Killian Murphy. So Yeah. You know, know the, the one character I did feel had uh, a heroic role was, was the Tom Hardy character. I mean, you, you kind of know throughout that, that he's, he is going to use the last drop of gas that he's got in his engine fighting, you know, to try to protect these people. And that is, in fact, what ends up happening. Yeah. So, um, and in a lot of ways, I mean, everybody else seems to pretty much get out okay. But, you know, he gets captured. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's got the worst, uh, worst ending of the entire movie. So. Right. Everybody, everybody else is trying to get off Dunkirk Beach. He decides to land on it. Yeah. I mean, that's heroic. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're right. No, that makes a good point. The pilot, he, throughout the film, is given small choices uh, about his fuel, about whether to turn back, about who to protect, and he always chooses the heroic one. And that one, and he has very few lines and that's very much an homage, I think, to the, the British stiff upper lip, strong, silent type. Sure. You know? Plus and, to, uh, you know, it's, he, he just reprised the role of Bane, right? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, at least we, we could understand him better in his uh, cockpit uh, uh, microphone than we could understand Bane. That was a great visual at the end. I mean, the landing on the beach thing, you're wondering if he's going to crash. Um I thought that was a great twist for that plot because it could have gone a lot of ways. He could have ended up in the ocean like somebody else. He could have bailed out. There was a lot of talk of, you know, the pilots and their parachutes, which we never saw one do. They either died or they did a sea landing. Yeah. Or he he does the full landing. There was a great moment in, in image when he's uh, he's trying to land on the beach and he's manually bringing down the the wheels on his Spitfire. Yeah, and you're not sure if the wheels are going to get out in time. Um, Just that's a that's a a, a genre convention. They, I've seen that in other war films. Right? Just looking a little bow legged on the uh, on the landing, right? Yeah, yeah, and it reminded me of a great episode. Did you ever watch uh, the Steven Spielberg series, Amazing Stories, that was on in the 80s? Uh, apparently, I should go catch up. Uh, no, it's, 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 it's it, not all of them are very good, but Steven Spielberg had this anthology show called um, Amazing Stories, and it all kinds of like very interesting, there was always a supernatural feel to them, um, and there was one story about a World War II bomber where the, the guy, the bombardier who's sitting in the bottom you know, in, of one of those flying fortresses, they lose their uh, landing gear and they have to land because they're running out of fuel and he's going to die and they, they can't get him out. But he has this uh, pastime where he's, he draws and he's been drawing things, illustrating things in his notebook over the course of the war. And he draws um, landing gear onto his plane and they magically 
like deploy just in time to land the plane. Sounds really eighties. So that's that's it was super some it was solid eighties animation. I tried to I tried to rewatch Amazing Stories recently and it didn't it didn't really hold up. Yeah. So, um, you want to talk about the structure? I mean, we've gotten into the structure a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm I'm curious to you know because you claim to have it all figured out, so I'm. <laughs> Curious how how this all fits together, and you know, I'm sure there's three different plot arcs and three different internal arcs, and you know. Well, I made I made a little spreadsheet, and Good. you know, um, the mole the mole is has the most um, screen time, and you get Tommy, uh, the British soldier, he's besieged in Dunkirk. That's your setup. Uh, he meets Gibson, this other character who's burying a body. We don't even know if it's really Gibson because he may, people are stealing, uh, uh, he's stealing the guy's boots. Uh, I think the catalyst is the beach gets bombed by the Luftwaffe and the first, the first time we see the bombings and how difficult it is. Um, and then Tommy and Gibson get this great idea to um, pose as medics with an injured soldier so that they can get on one of these boats because that's the central conflict of Dunkirk is there the big there's not enough big boats that can get through the harbor to get uh, these 400 uh, soldiers off the beach and back to England and um, so but the medic boat is going to go so Tommy and Gibson pretend to be that the fun and games they break into two is like them choosing uh, to, to, to try to do this scheme. The fun and games is them trying to get through the crowd during all this kind of crazy stuff that's going on. Um, and then they get to the boat. They finally make the boat just in time, and they're told to get off the boat. And that's kind of like a midpoint for them. Yeah, I would think the fun and games, too, it's, it's, it's all the efforts to get off, off that beach, right? You know, hanging out under the pier, like, you know, yes. all of it. They're just, it's like, we'll do what it takes to get off this dang pier. Yeah, all of the guys on the pier. Uh, there's there were French officers trying to get off the pier. There are the guys in the boats trying to get out through the tide. Um, then we have uh, the the boys climb up on, on the pier and they're waiting under the pier for another ship. And this is where it really confused me. And I really think this is a note for screenwriters is. They, a ship, they, they try to get on a ship and then they're asked to get off. Ship number one. Mm-hmm. Okay, midpoint, um, they climb under a pier, they wait for a new ship, right? And the new ship pulls in and they are about to get on and then it is bombed and crashes into the dock. And they're like, oh gosh. And then, so that's ship number two. And then Alex that is like the third guy, starts to be, hang with them and they wait and they get on another ship the third ship is where they finally get tea and jam and bread and um, eventually that ship is torpedoed so we've got a narrative that is clearly messing around with time and then we have three ships that are you know it's the same thing happening over and over again so it's really hard to keep track of who's who and what's what. And if it had been just one ship, it would have been better. Yeah, and there's actually... Simplify. There's a very simple uh, screenwriting rule around this concept, and it's called the planes, trains, and automobiles rule. Uh, If you're going to have three different, you know, endeavors to get off that beach, there should be a plane, there should be a train, and there should be an automobile. Keep them separate. Right. And then we're going to know which one's which. Absolutely. Yeah, great, great point. They, they, to, to, to vary um, the obstacles that people are intertwined with. There should have been a hovercraft. If there had been a hovercraft, uh, yeah. that would have been, you know, maybe a submarine. Like, we would remember the difference between those things. Yeah, I mean, that would have been cool. Like, maybe a, a hoverboard while we're at it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, bad guys close in for this part is the, the, uh, the ship leaves the... the Leaves and is bombed. It crashes in the dock, uh, and then oh, they get on. They get on that the the third boat. It's torpedoed. That's the all is lost for that moment. Uh, Gibson finally opens the door, and, and he and his buddies get out, and they get back to the beach. And uh, on the beach is when uh, they are stuck again until the third act, which is they um, 
they join a group of Scottish soldiers uh, on an abandoned boat. And for, for that plot, the third act is just dealing with the boat, that boat itself getting shot at, um, you know, secretly being, you know, people getting in, it starts flooding, uh, they turn on the French guy. That's the third act for the, that, the mole plot. Which I'm not sure, do you, can you remind me, does that intertwine with the, the finale of the other two plot lines? Well, aren't they on the... How does that... Aren't they, you know, they've, they've been, like, bombed, but they haven't sunk yet, like... The plane's coming around. It's going to blow them up. Yeah, but they're in that little boat. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting all and the pasty white guys confused at the end, but there are a bunch of them. It's so hard. It's, you put like 10 of them in, in, the, in the boat together, and we don't know their names. I mean, that's one thing that they did extremely well in Band of Brothers, which you know arguably has eight hours to do it, but you know the characters' names. No, the same thing in... Um, Saving Private Ryan. They, it's very specific. Through dialogue, they say the characters' names enough, and the actors they cast are different looking enough. I don't know. Are we, are we racist because we can't tell one Englishman from another? Um, I'm just going to leave that I question mean, there. I don't know. I, I really don't know. <laughs> they all look alike, is what I'm saying. Uh, the poor English boys. So... Um, the three-act structure for the C plot is, is pretty simple. You know, we're in England. The Navy's commandeering civilian vessels. This is the setup. And, and the Navy is going to take uh, Mark Ryland's, Mr. Dawson's boat, if he doesn't take it. So he and his son and his son's buddy, rather than give up their, their boat, they decide to drive it themselves o- over to Dunkirk. And that's the break into two. Um, fun and games is traversing the channel, seeing the Spitfires, um, seeing uh, uh, finally coming upon Killian Murphy, the Shivering Soldier. Um, That's just know, the number of scenes where they're, they're going the opposite direction of with the troop transports. I mean, I, that I think that really mm-hmm. summed it up. Those were some beautiful moments. Yeah, some great moments, and you know, it escalates. Um, the issue with Killian Murphy uh, get, gets into, I think that's kind of the midpoint when Killian Murphy starts, you know, has the accident with the boy, and um, then they have to deal with him, and they are headed towards Dunkirk, and then we're flashing back. And so, so this is when the inner, inner cutting starts. Um, because the next time we, we really deal with the boat people is uh, when they're picking up survivors, um, which is at the sort of third act finale. They start picking up people and bringing them back, and there's some trouble with that because the little boy is actually dead, and they can only fit so many people on the boat. Um, and then the finale for, uh, for that plot is, uh, you know, the... the the tell and not show of the the article in the newspaper about the kid being a hero. Sure. So quickly, the air, the third plot, right? It sets up two guys in planes and their buddies. Um, they go through a series of dog fights. In one of the dog fights, our main character. Uh, I want to say Bane. <laughs> Tom Hardy. Bane's Hardy is played. He's called. He's called Farrier in in this one. Tom Hardy's character's name is Farrier. Uh, he gets hit, and so he loses his fuel gauge. And as you said, it creates that really um, motivated, you know, through the story ticking time clock. Um, the Midpoint for them, I believe, is when his buddy gets shot down, and now it's just him. Um, they have a run-in with some enemy uh, fighters. Then they have a run-in with the bomber. The bomber is going to bomb one of the boats, one of the three boats from the first storyline, of which I'm not sure which it was. <laughs> um, 
And then he saves that boat, and then he sticks around and he saves one of the second boats. Uh, and the third act is, I guess, I guess he's protecting. What is he doing in the third act? Is he protecting the little boats when he when he uh, when he's flying over the beach? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I it kind of feels like I need an infographic to understand like how this all fits together. So hopefully somebody's pulling that together right now. Yeah, it, 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 it all comes together. It's the, it's the final sort of, he's out of, he's out of gas and he's shooting down planes and they're getting off the beach and, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the boys are in the, in the boat drowning. So it's all coming together. But I don't know. Nolan said in his in an article that this is his most radical story structure yet, and I don't think it's that radical. I think it was um, it escalated. You know the jeopardy. It it, it created. Um, it was a little confusing with daytime and nighttime, and it was a little confusing to see Killian Murphy twice. But I was fine with it. Yeah, I, I thought I think Memento is way more complicated than this, and Inception tries Certainly. tries to be way more complicated and maybe doesn't pull it off. But um, I mean, this ultimately is a story about some things that happen within a week of one another. So that's that's child's yeah. that's child's play by Nolan standards. Certainly, is there anything out of the structure that strikes you that you wanted to comment on? Um, I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward. It's multi-plot. There's three plots, three protagonists. Um, yeah, the timeline is second to secondary. I think one one of the challenging parts about this is that 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 second storyline uh, and having kind of the you know common people come together and and you know be be these heroes and and go and do this. I, that's I think that's why this movie got made, right? I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're in a high-concept conversation about this movie, you're saying, I mean, what's the most interesting thing about this? It's that the populace pulled together and, and you know, participated in this mass evacuation. Um, yeah. And in some ways, like, I, I understood that there were three lines and that they were all getting kind of equal, equal coverage. Um, the airplane stuff is always going to kind of rise to the front of attention because it's planes and dogfights and all that sort of thing. But uh, it, it felt like they didn't know how to make the beach stuff and the mole sequence really carry through. I, I, I feel like they, they didn't ultimately have much of, a, much of an arc there. Um, the goal was to get off, off the beach, and I get that, but um, there were a number of things that contributed to that not being the compelling storyline it should have been. Yeah, I mean, there's this little D plot with Kenneth Branagh saying, "You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay on the beach." The one laugh I got was when the army guy says, uh, "You know, the tides come in every six hours," and Branagh's like, "No, it's every three. He's like, "Are you sure?" And he's like, "Yeah, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it's a good thing. Uh, you know, I'm a navy man and you're an army man." Yeah. That was like one laugh in the film. I hadn't but seen him plot, in anything in a while. I mean, uh, his. I I wanted He's been like directing Thor movies. I wanted a fiery speech, kind of a you know Henry V kind of you know. I've, I've seen what he can do. Yeah, uh, but you know this was this movie was not about monologues and fiery speeches. No. There was a little bit at the end where we read some of Churchill's words, but that was almost an afterthought and almost an epilogue. So quickly, if this was a screenplay, you know, that was brought into the Screenwriters Collective Workshop, what's the one issue uh, you would tell the screenwriter uh, and what to fix? Well, uh, you know, maybe it's a question back at you, but if, if we got something to workshop with this little dialogue, would that be a concern? Or is that, is that something that you would laud, you know, applaud of, of a writer? Because this is uh, this is pretty dang spare. There's there's not a lot said in this movie. You know, I you know when we read it for coverage, I would notice is the plot moving along, and it does. This thing moves along, and the beats are clear. Uh, 
There are missions within missions within missions, and Nolan's good at that. The little goals that he sets for the pilot, the little goals he sets for the boys on the beach, the little goals he sets on the boat headed to Gun- to Dunkirk, it's, it's very clear visually what is the objective in every scene. And so that's good writing. Um, you know, my, my, my trouble would be that to this, I would tell the screenwriter that I, I don't identify with your protagonist in each of these three stories. I don't get to know them enough to see if they are learning anything from the story. Um, I mean, it seems trite to be like, what's the character arc in this war movie? It's very easy for somebody to be like, but it's war. It's about war, you know? It's about escaping war and war as hell. But that's still not enough. I mean, Saving Private Ryan had character arcs in it. We learn about Tom Hanks's character, you know? We learn about... All, all the boys have these little emotional journeys. One, the, one, the young kid loses his innocence. Um, it, there's a lot of great character work in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, I mean, I, I struggle. I, I, I think that the, that the the second and third plot lines are pretty clear. Like, I know who's kind of at the center of those, but I, I, don't, I don't know who the protagonist is as far as those guys on the beach. Yeah, I don't either. Um, how it should have ended? I love the idea of, like, rewriting a movie and putting the, the better version and, and what did I want to see? What was I hoping to see? Um, in terms of the pilot plot, I wouldn't change a thing. I thought that ending, I was surprised by it. It was a great twist. I thought he was going to crash or die or get shot. And No, he goes and he lands and there's the, he, we get to end with a beautiful image of him landing his plane, which makes him a great pilot on a beach with like, you know, zero fuel, and he's staring at the fire that, that is Dunkirk, and you know he's facing getting captured. That was a beautiful twist ending. Um, the boat, I, I would have had the kid die for more of a cause. You know, instead of getting pushed down the stairs by Killian Murphy. He's a throwaway character. Yeah. I mean, it's like... I would yeah if I, I agree I would have combined him with the son the the payoff because you know he he gets on the boat and and um, you know the captain's like you know we're going to war like and that that scene that that dialogue was not paid off because because how much how how much more compelling would it have been if it was just the father and the son and the son wants to go and the father's like no. And he's like, no, I want to help too. And so the father lets the son on. And then the father can't protect the son from like a, a tough uh, soldier who like roughs him up. And the, the father still has this mission. He wants to help, but he also wants to protect his son. The son was never in danger. It was the son's buddy who was in danger. And that lessens the conflict for the father, for the Mark Rylance character. Yeah, I don't think that we ever really got beyond just the basic bravery of the fact that they were there. Like, and that's, that's as far as they took that, that storyline, and maybe it didn't need to go any further. Um, how, how, how would you rewrite it, or how would it have ended better for you? Well, I like the way that it all comes together and the fact that you know, we, we need this, this final uh, act of, of you know, dogfighting to kind of prevent the bomber from taking them out at the end. So I, I like that, but um, it, it didn't feel, it felt like it, it was a little too much of an aha kind of like abracadabra ending, like everything coming together. I, I liked it and I also didn't like it as opposed to the people on that boat just being responsible for, you know, they're the ones who, you know, they came in, they did something gutsy, and they got the heck out of there, and, you know, away they go. It didn't, it didn't feel like that. It felt like kind of this, you know, can you believe that all events conspired perfectly for these guys to escape? Yeah, um, yeah. And that's part of the true history, but also, I mean, Saving Private Ryan, almost the whole unit gets killed except for Ryan, which, so their mission was accomplished, and then Ryan turns to 
it turns out to be this you know old man who 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 says oh you know i i want to make sure i earned it i lived a good life and he's a metaphor for the civilian americans who uh, were kept safe by our armed forces in world war ii so i have more of a problem with the plot one the beach problem they end up in this little boat and they're surviving and it's horrible they're drowning they're being shot at i wanted to see some of those boys escape and do something heroic die heroic um it seemed like nolan didn't want to show us a german in this film we got to see some german planes we didn't get to see the u-boat we didn't get to see any german soldiers and i feel like that was a conscious choice um but where was the sacrifice moment in that plot? One of the boys, he does put himself out there for the French kid, but then he doesn't save the other guys. And I, I, yeah, I'm not sure if they died or if they, they lived. Um, I wanted, you know, those young boys who, who were, who'd been through everything, I'd like to see them go out in a blaze of glory in that plot line. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's interesting because I think the movie, it benefits from keeping a narrow kind of close view. Uh, and yet at the same time, it doesn't take a broad enough view. I mean, when, when we're talking yeah. about hundreds of thousands of people, um, how, do you, how do you put that in perspective? And I, I think that's always going to be a filmmaking nightmare because, you know, we've seen it so many times with these epic movies where they cast the, the net way too wide and you're just, you're just lost. And what really matters here? And you don't care about any of the characters. And... Um, I cared about a few of these characters. But there, you bring up a good point. There's a very compelling fact that's spoken of, that's given lip service to, which is that Churchill would be happy if 10% of the soldiers get off the beach, and it turns out they got something like 75% of the soldiers off the beach. It was a huge victory in that sense. Yeah. And we, we don't get to follow that number. We're told about it. Where is the loading up of the boats? Where is the scene where that huge dock of boys jumps off the dock into these little boats and they all swim? Like, where is that, the, the, the show, show, not tell version of that interesting statistic? Because to me, without knowing that, I wouldn't have known that this was kind of a victory, a, you know, a very am amazing victory without understanding those numbers, and we never got that in the story. Yeah, and, you know, we were joking earlier about, like, what, what the Churchill scenes would have looked like, and I, I'm imagining it's, like, CGI, Philip Seymour Hoffman, like, you know, being Winston mm -hmm. Churchill. Uh, but the, <laughs> the history is interesting, and, you know, this is early on, and, you know, this is at a time when, you know, people are trying to figure out is, is you know, is Britain even a, a going entity at this point? And there was talk of moving, yeah. moving the capital to Canada for the, you know, for a short term. And, you know, Amazing. and Churchill was Amazing. like, you know, over my dead body, I'm not doing that, which obviously is the right choice. But, you know, this, this is a moment in time where it's, it's really hard to communicate the context and how important this was uh, to their history. Uh, and the only way you could do it in a movie making fashion would be ham handed. So I'm glad they didn't try, but, you know, you, you just need to come into this with this this level of context that most people probably aren't bringing to the uh, the cineplex. I think it's a very personal film in that sense that Nolan is not explaining everything because the British people know the story, and he wanted to give them a put a put a put a magnifying glass on how it went down, and he accomplished that. Yeah, I'll give him that. Uh, last comments, last uh, up or down takeaways from our conversation on Dunkirk. I, I mean, I think my enthusiasm with the film is probably clear. I, I appreciated seeing Nolan uh, kind of channeling his craft. It felt like a very controlled movie. I don't mean that in a bad way, but it just it felt like the, the kind of things you expect from a Christopher Nolan film um, in, a, in a kind of restrained, kind of mature uh, rollout. So I like that. I mean, I agree. I, I, I kind of want to watch it again and see how it all fits together. See if it makes a little bit more sense, um, in terms of the different threads. Cause 
I feel like I, I pieced it all together kind of afterwards thinking through it. Um, and I don't know if, uh, if I would care more about the characters the second time through. Um, I, I, I cared about the, the father and son on the boat and I cared about the pilot. Uh, and you know, that's at least that's three people. So that works. <laughs> yeah. I, um, you know, I had my trouble with the character development, um, epically, you know, cinematic, uh, the intertwining of the, the three story structure is actually turns out to be not that complicated. Um, but the finale is missing for me that, uh, they just cut to the boys being off the dock. The dock's empty. And they give lip service to the fact that, oh, we saved like 300000 And I would have liked to have seen that. But I will not forget the images of the foam on the beach, the man walking into the water, like killing himself, the young soldier, the, the, the boats trying to get over the tide, and that triumphant moment when the little boats... Uh, come to the to the rescue of all these so on that note Jeremy thanks very much thank you David always a good time and uh... Uh, yeah I mean uh, the script is produced by David Negrin edited by Zoe Alexander Reminder that if you like the script podcast, please give us a five-star review on iTunes and subscribe to the script YouTube channel. Join our Facebook page by searching for NYC Screenwriters Collective, The Script. Follow us on Twitter at ScriptFeed, and you can support The Script Podcast at patreon.com slash script.